Hello, church. Uh, for today's scripture reading, please open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Uh, for those that are new or visiting, either in person or online, we want to warmly greet you. And uh, I hope that today will be an op opportunity for us all to be able to uh, really experience the presence uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And, um, you know, it's kind of that time when uh, kids are going back to school. So if you are a parent and your uh, students are, or, you know, your children are going back to school, um, awesome, you guys. It doesn't, doesn't feel good. Yeah. And if you're not a parent... Uh, I'm, excuse us for seeing the uh, plethora of first day of school posts on Instagram. I'm sure you guys are excited for those posts. You guys awake? Is my delivery off? Like, I don't know. Was it, I, okay. I don't know, man. Oh, you, you guys got my confidence really low now. I don't know if I can continue. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, you know, for many churches here in the United States, you know, as, we're, as our students are going back to school, uh, you know, as things are opening up, even with work, um, you know, and, you know, we've been meeting as a church for about a, almost close to uh, a year and a couple months now. Um, for many of the churches here in the United States, the last two years have really been just kind of a whirlwind and a, and a scramble, a scramble of trying to keep church afloat uh, in the midst of all the different types of events that were going on, right? We had the, we had the pandemic, uh, you know, there was, it seemed to be a continual barrage of, of of, of cultural uh, events that were happening, whether it was, uh, you know, sh sh mass shootings or, or, or racial injustice or, or so many different things that were kind of feeding into our, 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 uh, uh, our lives. And, and I found that in the past two years that many uh, pastors, because of this, uh, were really kind of thinking about um, and questioning their, their call to ministry. Uh, so there was a recent, sur recent survey that was done, and it said that about 40% of pastors have either resigned or, or thought about changing their careers or, or, or uh, you know, moved on from the churches that they started with uh, before the pandemic. And uh, many of them were asking this question of, well, is this something that I want to continue doing? Uh, this, it was, a label has been placed on this phenomenon, and it's called the Great Resignation, and it really just kind of uh, showed just the turmoil that was going on within just churches uh, all across the United States. And not just for pastors, but I'm sure for many of you, uh, whether it was in your career or whether it was uh, about your faith, I'm sure that there was a lot of reflection and processing and, and thinking about, well, what is it that I actually want to do with my life, and, and what is it that I actually believe in this life? And I think specifically, just even in our church context, um, there, there was a, a time when many people, not just because they moved away, but many people decided, you know what, uh, maybe participating in church, any church for that matter, is something that was no longer uh, important in their lives. 
And, and, and not only that, but I'm sure many of you individually or within your families, you guys were experiencing different types of stresses and different types of turmoil, which really had you question uh, the validity and importance of, quote unquote, this faith. Right? And I think this type of spiritual crisis uh, was experienced by so many of us. And, and, and then it kind of bleeded into or, or leaked into the, the application or, or, or the practices of our life and our faith. So over the course of two years, um, there was a mass exodus of people uh, within not only our church, but within just church in general across the United States. And, and um, once things kind of opened up, uh, we assumed that people would just kind of naturally come back, but that was not the case at all. Uh, and, and it wasn't because the pandemic caused this exodus. Uh, the exodus from church and religion and faith was already occurring, uh, but the, the pandemic was really an accelerator to this. So we saw uh, many people, probably even in your lives, who no longer attending church or no longer uh, feel the need to, to practice their faith. So the question that I began asking at the beginning uh, is, well, what can we do to get our people to come back to church? And, and I realized that the more I thought about it and the more we experienced church and life together, that that was not the right question to be asking. That the question that needed to be asked was, why are people no longer practicing their faith? Why are people no longer valuing the, and, and seeing faith as an important aspect and an important thing in their lives? So in order for us, uh, I believe, to really um, kind of dive through uh, this sermon series, which is going to be entitled The Christian Life, uh, we have to understand and, and really think about, well, what is the purpose and duty of the church? Uh, how can we recapture the main emphasis of what the church is supposed to be and not what church has become? And I believe that if we uh, correctly analyze this about our, our churches and just our church specifically, that we will be able to kind of move in a direction in the sense that we're not trying to go back to the way things used to be pre-pandemic. I don't think that's the solution at all. I believe the solution is for us as a church and as members of the church and as Christians to be able to think about, well, how can we reorganize and reorient the very uh, thought about religion and faith and the gospel in a way that is, is, is distinct from the culture of this world and how we used to think about what religion was. So therefore, uh, we're starting this new sermon series centered on the Christian life, uh, we'll see how our discipleship and how our Christian life uh, must be practiced while living in this world, uh, that we are going to define what the marks of, of the Christian life is, defined not by what we used to know, but by what the Bible tells us, and that we are, I, I, think, I think it's a good exercise for us to start questioning everything that we once held as orthodox, everything that we once held as something that was uh, unique to the Christian religion and ask ourselves, is that what really is communicated to us in Scripture? And today we're going to kind of dive into this passage that we read in Hebrews, and we're going to see the, uh, the importance uh, um, of what the foundation of our faith actually is. That the very foundation and basis of our faith and, and, and uh, of our relationship to God is not these traditions and cultural uh, things that we held on to, but the very foundation and basis of our faith is founded in the priestly work of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? And then because of this priestly work, what does he command us to do? Or how does he command us to live? So the very first point that I'm going to be talking about is the foundation of our Christian life. I think this is very important for us to think about and very important for us to reflect upon. Uh, one of the key components 
um, of Christian living or, or this Christian life is the foundational truth that our acceptance into the family of God is not based on anything other than the life Jesus lived. Uh, and, and the author of Hebrews, uh, starting from uh, chapter 4 to chapter 9, gives the reader an extensive look as to as why Jesus being the great high priest is so important for our salvation. So I'm going to read a few passages for us just to kind of highlight that truth. So in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 25, it says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. There's a couple things that really pop out from that. Number one, it really talks about the deity of who Christ is because he is one who does not die. It says he, is, he holds the priesthood position permanently and that he continues forever. And then on top of that, it says, he is, uh, those who draw near to God through him, he will make intercession for them. So the, the foundation of our salvation is then dependent not upon uh, anything that we can do here on earth. It is not dependent upon a, a human intercessor or human advocate. It is dependent upon a, a, a being who is forever and permanent, one who is in the presence of God permanently interceding for us. Now, um, I did not grow up in a Christian home, uh, and my family, they became Christians later on in their lives. Uh, but once I became a pastor and I started serving in churches, I would meet, um, you know, the elderly. And it's usually, it was usually grandmas. It wasn't grandpas. It was always grandmas. But, but these grandmas, uh, they would be, like, the, the greatest prayer warriors that I've ever met. You know, like, you just kind of, and, and, you know... I'm going to be honest, you know, I'd walk by them and they'd start a conversation. I could never leave the conversation because they would just keep talking and talking and talking, right? And I'm like, how do I leave this, this situation? But if you guys want advice, I'll, I'll let you know later. Um, but in the same way, that's how they prayed. They were constantly praying for their family. They were constantly praying for their children. They were constantly praying for their grandchildren. And, you know, as an elementary pastor at that time, I would talk to their kids about, dude, your grandma's awesome. And they'd be like, ah, she's kind of annoying, like, why? She's always talking and praying. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. But as they grow up, they realize the benefit and grace that they were able to experience because of the constant intercession of a family member. And I witness that, and I think about that, and I think, well, if that's the case with someone who is a human being just as us interceding for us, imagine how much greater it is that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who is the Son of God who is permanently in the seat of the great high priest constantly interceding for us on our behalf. And based on that biblical truth, what we have is our acceptance into the family of God. Not because of anything that we can do ourselves. Then in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 2, it says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And again, the point of this is that this advocate, this, this system is not something that is created by humans. It is not a, a man-made religion or institution in which we need to participate and be a member of in order for us to receive the blessings of God. No, the very advocate that we have access to God the Father is the Son of God himself 
who sits at the right hand of the Father in his very presence so that we also may have that access. Jesus is the high priest who intercedes for us in the very presence of God the Father. And he does this not through any man-made avenues, but through the very fact that he is the Son of God. And lastly, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, it says this, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And it is again the description that the reason why we are able to come into the very presence of God is not because of anything that we can do, not, a, not because based on anything that we can achieve or by, by what we can participate in, but because Jesus once for all made a sacrifice with a, with a sacrifice not of this earth, but of his own very life. And by the means of his own blood secures our eternal redemption. And so these are, this is kind of the basis and foundation of what comes from chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 19 that we read, it, it starts off with the word therefore. And what the author is saying is everything that I have written about and everything I've told you and taught you about the priestly work of Jesus Christ, our advocate, our intercessor, the one who is in the very presence of God at the right hand, because of that, therefore, now you have confidence to enter into the presence of God, to draw near to him. And I think this is something that is very important for us to understand. That the very foundation and very basis of how we live the Christian life must be the gospel message. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we see, you know, like everything that I said, like, hey, Jesus is, is our advocate, you know, is by his sacrifice that we're able to come into his presence. If you grew up in the church, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I heard that before. And you think it is the elementary principle of, of, of Christianity when, in fact, what the author here is saying is, no, this is the very foundational truth, something that we must always and constantly remind ourselves for in order for us to correctly and rightly live the Christian life. So he says in verse, uh, verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And the first command that he gives, and we'll go over the three commands here, the first command that he gives is to draw near to God. Draw near to God. So we're going to look at uh, what it means to, in our relationship to God, then we're going to see the relationship to God's word, and then we're going to see our relationship to one another. Those are the three commands that he's going to be explaining. So in order for us to correctly and rightly live out the Christian life, we have to first understand that we can draw near to God because of everything that Jesus has done for us. So when we take a look at this command, it doesn't seem that specific, right? The author intentionally does not talk about the avenues in which we are to draw near to God. Because when I think about this idea of, well, how can we draw near to God, you know, right away, based on my paradigm of living a, in an in a evangelical Christian world for so long, I assume that the ways in order for me to draw near to God is I have to attend church on Sundays, that I have to read my Bible, that I have to go to Bible study, that I have to be a part of a community group, or I can serve in church, and those are the only avenues in which I draw near to God. Okay? 
And now, those are good things, but that does, that's not necessarily the point of what the author is talking about. When he says draw near to God, he does not then give specific examples of how people in this time should draw near to God. Because, you know, if, if we did that, we'd still be, you know, practicing religion the way they did 2,000 years ago. Instead, what is more important in this idea of drawing near to God, he talks about the manner and means in which we draw near to God. So he says, draw near to God, or therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he talks about the manner and means in which we have to draw near to God. That the manner in which we draw near to God is with a, a, a full assurance of faith and a heart that is true and genuine. So basically what he's saying is this, a true heart refers to the inner life of a person, meaning that, that our, our, our commitment to God is genuine and true. And the full assurance of faith is understanding that everything that God has promised to us is something that we believe and acknowledge based not on what we can do, but based on what Christ has already done. And the, and the means by which we are able to draw near to God is because we, our hearts have been sprinkled clean and our bodies washed. Again, this is referring back to the priestly work of Christ. So when we think about drawing near to God, the exhortation focuses on the inner person, not so much on our outward actions. Now, the reason why I believe um, it, so many people you know, kind of decided, you know, a church is no longer something that they want to be a part of or no longer something that they saw as important in their lives is because at the pandemic, when everything was taken away, the things that were taken away were all the outward actions that we were used to, all the outward actions and programs that we assumed or that we thought, as long as we participated in, that we are drawing near to God. Now, that can't happen unless we first look at the inner life of our hearts, and that's what the author is talking about. Draw near to God in true, genuine heart and assurance of faith. So then the question that I had was, well, how can we get people back to church? And I realized we can't do the things that we used to do before. It's not about providing entertainment and providing an experience for people where they can come and go and feel that they have gotten their spiritual uh, food for the week. I mean, here, and here's the thing, like, I don't know many Gen Zers. I only know them through TikTok. And I realize, you know, like, they think a little differently, right? Uh, millennials, you guys think a little differently, and then I don't even know what I am. I'm Gen X something, right? We, we think differently, right? Uh, but the way we grow, we assume that a good church is something, a place where they have good, good programs, good education services, uh, and, and kind of entertaining, right? But with the internet and with everything going on, like, the church cannot compete in that, in that realm. Right? Like, we can't provide a concert as good as last year's halftime show, right? I mean, last year's halftime show was amazing, and especially if you're, like, my age and older, right? But you know what was greater? Have you guys ever seen uh, the concert where Tupac Shakur is, is, is like a, um, a hologram? I, I teared up when I saw that. 
that was an experience. And I was like, and, and how can the church ever, ever compete with that type of, like, experience? You, we can't. Right? And, and, and the reality, and, like, I wish I was Dave Chappelle. I wish I could come here and just, like, make you guys laugh and, you know, blow your minds every week. I wish, I, I wish we, were, we, were a tech, we can't compete with, with, like, Netflix specials and TED Talks. We can't. Because that is, again, not the purpose of what it means for us to draw near to God. The, the thing that, is, that will distinguish church and Christianity from the rest of this world is not the mode in which we, we present the message. It is the very message itself. It is the truth that everything that you desire and want to achieve this in, in this world is only momentary. But if you want something that is a gift that is going to be for eternity, that the only avenue in which you can gain that gift is through the priestly work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is how we draw near to God. The second point and the second command he gives is, is, is to uh, hold fast the confession of our hope. And the relationship, is basically this is about the relationship that we have with the word of God and what he teaches and when we are actively drawing near to God, we are able to persevere in holding fast to biblical confessions that guarantee our hope. That we are able to hold fast to the biblical truths that, we, you know, that is stated in Scripture, that is stated in the Word of God that tells us what is true and what is not true. But, uh, you know, and I think what that means is being able to distinguish and being able to identify the differences between the majors and the minors. When it says uh, hold fast to the confessions uh, of our faith, uh, things that guarantee our hope, I think for many of us we assume or maybe we have been taught to, and, and grown to be taught that we need to uphold institutional orthodoxy or that we need to uphold the traditions that we have grown, grown up with. And because of that, we look at Christianity, we look at the confessions of our faith, and we hold on to things that, quite frankly, uh, are probably not major things. When it comes to the, uh, the majors and, and the most important things about Christianity, there's only a few of them. Right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is 100% God, he's 100% man. He came in bodily form into this world. He, he died on the cross. He rose again in three days. And the only way to salvation is by placing your faith in him and him alone. And there's a couple other majors, but not too many. Not too many after that. And the older I get, I realize that things that are black and white, there's only a few things that are black and white. Everything else is painted in gray. And that's why there's, there's two ways to spell gray. Have you guys ever wondered that? <laughs> it's literally the same, it's the same word, but just two, two different ways to spell it. Because everything is pretty much gray. But what has happened in so many of our lives, as we are saturated and, and, and constantly attacked with, with polarizing opinions and polarizing thoughts, uh, we have created an, um, a system in which if you are not one way or the other, then the other side will think that you are not legitimate. Meaning this, if you are not completely uh, on the conservative Christian evangelical spectrum and you don't hold to their tenets, that your faith is illegitimate. 
And in the same way in the other way, if, if you do not hold to progressive Christian theology and their tenets, that you are seen as illegitimate. Right? And, and, you know, here in the Bay Area, um, we're probably a little bit more leaning towards this way, still kind of maybe like leaving this side, but we're not sure. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? We, we, most of us probably have grew up in a conservative Christian church, no longer thinking in that spectrum, in that perspective, and leaning a little bit more left, and then now, and then, but then there's others that are holding on to more conservative Christian, uh, you know, uh, thinking and, and, and perspectives, and then there's this idea that, hey, what are we actually holding on to? And then there's a whole group of people, mostly young people, who are seeing this fight happen and thinking, I don't want any part of that. And what the author of Hebrews is, is reminding us is that the very confession of our faith that we hold on to is all related to the priestly work of who Jesus is. See, it's interesting that he doesn't give any cultural context of what's actually happening in, in, in this time. He doesn't talk about, you know, the Roman Empire. He doesn't talk about, um, you know, I don't know what else they would talk about the Roman Empire, right? Instead, he just focuses mainly on what he knows is, is the major thing about faith, just Christ, Christ alone. And not only must we hold fast to the confession of our faith and the confession of our hope, um, lastly, he says, stir one another to love and good works. So the first command dealt with our relationship with God drawing near to him. And the second command dealt with, deals with our relationship to God's word, holding fast to, to the major tenets of our faith and understanding and distinguishing the difference. The last command that he gives is the relationship that we have with one another. And perhaps this might be the most applicable to all of us, right? It, it's, it's this idea that we come to church seeking community. Right? And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that but I think for many of us, um, the reason why we come to church is not because we are seeking community, but it's because we are seeking friendships. Uh, we we want to find, quote unquote, we call it community. You know, um, do, do non-Christians say, oh, I, I need to find my community? Or do you just say, oh, I want to hang out with my friends? Right? We, we've, we've kind of um, changed this vernacular to make it sound a little bit more holy or a little bit more religious. But it's really just, hey, I just want to hang out with my friends. Right? And uh, I'm going to come on Sunday to a place where like-minded people will come and maybe I'll find more friends. Or maybe I'll find new friends because I need new friends. Right? And, and there's nothing wrong with finding friends. Right? And, and I think there's an importance of having friends. Right? There's a sense of belonging. There's, there's incredible uh, benefits of, of finding friends and, and, and like-minded people at, at church. But finding friends is not the main purpose of community, nor is it the main purpose of our faith. Right? It, it, it can be a product of your faith, and it can be a product of your church, but it is not guaranteed. Right? One of the biggest reasons why many people leave church, and you know, they've, they've you know, told me or other people, is, oh, um, I just can't find community there. You know, and, and that's just, in their understanding, they think it's community, but you know, in reality, it's, they didn't find friends. You know, or or my, my kids are having a hard time finding community here. It's just, oh, there's no kids my, my kids' age. And they have no friends here. Right? And, and one of the biggest reasons why uh, people feel this way is because we have created this idea that church is a place 
where we escape from the world to come together to build up friendships and relationships that are going to be beneficial to our lives. Um, I guess in a way that can be true, uh, but I, I think the author of Hebrews is, is speaking about something entirely different here. He says, stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works. And uh, of the people that I've spoken to or, you know, I've kind of loosely had conversations with who uh, no longer come to church, uh, a lot of that is they just said, you know what, once I no longer had to come to church, uh, once I no longer had to deal with, you know, kind of conversing with people, I realized they weren't my real friends. And so what's the purpose of going? What's the purpose of going? And for many, many people who did start coming, they, in, in isolation, they're like, oh, man, I, I have no friends, so I need to go to church and find friends. And, and if you came for that reason, uh, if, if that's the main purpose, you might be uh, utterly disappointed. Because, again, the church is not here for friendship. We're here to build a community to stir one another up, to stir one another and, 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 and to, to fill each other with the grace of remembering that your salvation is not based on anything that you can achieve on your, by yourself. That your salvation and your drawing near to God is based on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. And as we kind of fall away from that or as we forget that, that the community is here to, to remind each other of that. And along the way, if you find friends, great. If you don't, it's okay. So in order for us to really persevere in holding fast the confession of our faith, in, in us for us to persevere in, in constantly seeking to draw near to God, even though the entire world around us is, is, is flowing in the opposite direction, that we need to gather together as a community of believers to stir one another along, to encourage one another not to forget who Jesus is and what he has done. So the author, he says, don't forget to gather as, as some of you guys have forgotten. And, and, and this, this, real, this command and this, this exhortation is something that is very uh, applicable to all of us. Uh, I know you guys are here. Uh, some of you guys are online, right? But the reality is, is uh, okay, I'm going to be very frank. If you're only joining online, something's wrong with you, okay? If you live here in the Bay Area and you're only joining online, unless there's like health issues or whatnot, something's wrong, okay? And I don't know what that is, but if you want to know what, what that is, come and gather because the community is here is to help encourage you and to stir you along to actually remind you of the joy and beauty of what it means to worship Christ together. If you are here only because of habit or if you're here only because you want to find friends or hang out with people, something's wrong. But keep coming. Because the duty and job of the community is to stir you along and to encourage you, to remind you of what it means to truly worship God together. Now, there's many reasons why you may not be showing up. There's many reasons why you might not want to hang out with people. Okay? And again, don't judge me. Sometimes I don't want to hang out with anybody. Right? Even my family. You know, sometimes I'm like, I don't, know, I don't want to hang out with you. 
You know, and it, it can be tiring. It can be very, it, it can be very uh, uh, difficult, right? But when I do, and I do it with the purpose of encouraging others and encouraging myself and encouraging others towards Jesus and, and the goodness of the gospel, uh, there's no greater feeling than knowing that in obedience, I went against my natural instinct to draw near to God and to encourage others. And that's the only, only way that the church can survive as we move forward. We're not going to be the most entertaining. We're not going to be the most well-run institutional organization. We're not going to have all the answers. We're, not, we're always going to be a few steps behind the culture in terms of entertainment and technology and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that will propel us to continue to serve the people here in this world is through the relationships and commitment to one another to point people to the goodness of the, of the great high priest in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, come to you, and, and God, I know that um, we are all trying to navigate um, a world post-pandemic. Uh, we're trying to navigate a world where uh, we're trying to glorify you and live according to your words. Um, God, I, I don't claim to have all the answers, um, nor do I claim to even know what all the questions are. So I ask that you would be able to instill within all of us a, a wisdom and a concern that comes only from you uh, so that we may be able to live as witnesses and as a community that encourages one another, that pushes one another along uh, to really glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray.